today's passage is another very difficult one for us. And uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting in, uh, in verse 5, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. But today's is different for a different reason. Usually we come to difficult passages in the Bible when they are difficult and we don't necessarily like them because of what they say, right? They say something that challenges our lives, challenges our hearts, challenges who we are, and we're like, we don't know if we really want to go along with that because it's kind of against what comes naturally to us in our culture and where we come from. But today's passage is difficult for a different reason. It's difficult because of what it doesn't say. We want it to say more than what it says, and that's hard for us. Uh, the topic, uh, the theme that's going on here has to do with the issue of slavery. Um, and this is an issue where uh, people who are not Christians, who do not believe the Bible, this is one of the main things that they'll throw up against the Bible. They'll say, well, the, the Bible is okay with slavery, and, and that's obviously a problem. And so how can you believe, believe it on other stuff if it's okay with that? Um, and so on and so forth as the argument goes. But I want us to understand... Uh, going into reading this passage, a little bit about this issue in relation to the culture where Paul is writing to them. Uh, in this day and age, there would have been as many as one in three people would have been considered slaves. So about 30% of the population were considered slaves. Um, and so you have to imagine that when the gospel goes out and they're preaching to people, well, if 30% of the population are slaves, then, then there's a good chance that uh, a lot of the Christians that were, were saved and came to faith in Christ would have been slaves. Um, also, it would stand to reason that a lot of people uh, who owned slaves would have come to faith and were saved by Jesus Christ. And so, so therefore, Paul is writing to these people, and he's telling them inside of this construct of slavery, here's how you are to act as a Christian, and here's how you are to conduct yourself. Okay. So that's that's kind of where we're, we're going. That's what's going on here. So let's read through it, and then let's think some more about this topic. So my uh, my translation translates the word for slaves as bond servants. Uh, we'll talk a little bit in a minute about maybe why they choose that word for translation instead of the word slaves. But it says this: bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bond servant or is free, masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So, I told you, what do we want it to say? We want it to say, abolish slavery. End it, stop it, it's not good, end it. But that is not what it says. And, like I said, people that are against the Bible will throw this up to us. They'll say, well, see, it's, it's talking here, and it doesn't say that slavery's wrong. Also, it doesn't say slavery's right either, but it doesn't say slavery's wrong. So, Christian, if someone throws that up to you, what would be your response? How would you answer that? How would you answer that 
critique of our faith, or that critique of the Bible. Well, first, what I want us to do is I want us to consider what we're talking about here. Because I grew up in the South in the States. And so, in my mind, when I hear the word slavery, it goes directly to the history there, uh, really bad, negative history of the African slave trade that led to years of uh, slavery based on race and just abuses and all kinds of horrible things that happened inside of that system. Um, I assume many of you, your minds would go to the similar place when we hear the word slavery or slaves. And so I want to ask, is what Paul is writing to here, is it the same thing? Is it the same thing as that model of slavery? Is this the same thing that was going on in the culture at this time? Not exactly. As I mentioned earlier, about 30% of the population would have been considered slaves. And they would have become slaves either by birth, being born into it, um, or by their parents selling them into slavery, or by their parents abandoning them, like we talked about a few weeks ago, when parents didn't want a kid, they would just leave them by the side of the road. Well, somebody else could pick up that kid, and that kid could become their slave. Uh, People were also taken into slavery by being taken captive in war. Conquers another group, the conquered group becomes slaves. Uh, we see this uh, in the Bible, the Old Testament, with ones like uh, uh, Daniel uh, was a slave. He was a captured person, and then he had to serve in the kingdom uh, where he was taken to. Uh, people were also in slavery uh, because of their inability to pay their debts. Uh, so they have a big outstanding debt, they owe somebody a lot of money. They can't pay that off, and so they go into slavery to work to pay off their debt uh, to that person. Uh, people were also put into slavery uh, for punishment for crimes, for um, example, stealing. Uh, think about how this would work uh, right now in, uh, in West Point or West Bank if, uh, with all the people that are checking car doors at night. Um, if, uh, if they got caught and then they were put into slavery until they paid back everything. I don't think we'd have any car doors being checked at night, but... Um, but that was the way this, that culture handled crimes like stealing. But then also there was a group of people who would voluntarily submit to becoming a slave in order to attempt to better their condition. But you say, well, why would they do that? Well, you're, you're homeless, and you're in a, a political system that does not take care of homeless people at all. Um, you have no land by which that you could raise crops to feed your family with or anything like that. You have no way of getting anything better for yourself. And so this was the equivalent for them of getting a job uh, by which they could earn money um, and be able to provide for themselves and for their family. Um, Slaves in this time could uh, earn money. They could earn wages. uh, They could have possessions. Um, A slave could could work their way up and buy um, a house, buy a field, whatever. Um, they, they were able to do that in the culture. Uh, they also were able to work their way up into where they either earned or bought their freedom. Um, and they could work their way out of slavery. Um, and that's part of why um, the translators of my version of the Bible choose the word bondservant there 
to use it because uh, they know in our minds we go to that 1800s form of slavery, uh, whereas what was going on here wasn't exactly that. But now, before we just paint a rose-colored picture over what slavery was in biblical times in the New Testament, let's be clear, it also was a rough situation as well. Um, there, that we have writings and everything from people, and uh, one guy wrote about his farm equipment, and he said, I have three kinds of farm equipment. I have my animals, I have my slaves, and I have the tools. Um, and he equated all three equally as far as value and worth. Um, legally, by the laws in this time, if a owner, if a master uh, were to physically punish a slave, even to the point of killing them, uh, there would be no legal repercussions. Um, and so, so I don't want us to paint a rose-colored picture that, oh, well, in Bible times, slavery was all okay, and, but then what it became later on in history was not. No, like it, there was definitely corruption around it. There was a lot of negative things around it. Um, but like I said, people could work their way out of it. They could buy their own freedom. Um, there's records of a, a 30-year time span just before Jesus came onto the scene that over half a million uh, slaves were set free um, in a 30-year period of time. And so it did happen that people could work and earn their freedom and buy their way out of slavery. So, with that said, you have this this system that is so ingrained in the culture and so part of everyday life, and now you've got these new Christians, new Christians who are both slaves and masters of slaves. And so Paul's writing to them. And what does Paul say to the masters, the masters who legally had the right to abuse and even put to death their slaves? What does he say? He says, do the same to them. What, what was the same? That you treat them in the way that you would treat Jesus. He says, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven that there is no partiality with him. And we, we wanted to say, Masters, set your slaves free. But he doesn't say that. Instead, he gives parameters of Masters and telling them how to treat their slaves, how to treat their bond servants. Because ultimately, for the Christian, we know that our ultimate allegiance is under our Lord and Savior, our Master, Jesus Christ. And that under Him, there's no difference between a master and a slave. There's no partiality based on our economic status in this world. And that, that it is a complete level playing ground as far as when it comes to Jesus. Rich, poor, it doesn't matter. And I want to propose to you that this verse and the same concept that's repeated throughout the New Testament is the very framework on which is built our cultural expectation today that slavery is an evil. And it was based on this that slavery was abolished. And Paul, when he wrote this, is laying that, found, that foundation. He's laying that framework 
sadly, it took almost 1,800 years before Christians uh, picked it up to the point where it, something happened with it. But when, as a, a human, if I am a master, so to speak, or if I am a person in authority, and if I look at myself, and I look at this other human as equal under the feet of Jesus Christ, then there's no way that I can be okay with this person being taken captive from their homeland, put on a nasty, nasty ship, chained up there, and, and sailed across an ocean in horrible conditions in order to be sold to another person at the end of forced labor. There's no way that I, under, under Jesus, that I can look at that person and think this is okay. And so why, why did it take so long, and why did Paul not go right out and say this from the start? Hey, we just need to get rid of slavery. I mean, he's so, he's so just up in your face on other things that are so countercultural. Why on this does he kind of pull back a little bit? And honestly, I don't know. But I will, I'll give you some suggestions. Um, like I just said, it was only once the Christian idea of equality of persons permeated the culture slavery started to be seen as the evil that it is. Why, why does Paul not just come right out and say that? First, Jesus and his subsequent followers were not focused on earthly politics. Let me say that again. Jesus was not focused on earthly politics in any way, and his disciples and the followers right after him were not either. That was not his goal. In fact, that's, that's when he went to the cross. That was the accusation against him is that he was trying to, to bring a, uh, an uprising, a new kingdom, and all of this stuff. And when questioned by Pilate, he said, hey, my kingdom is not in this world. He wasn't, he, he wasn't worried about earthly politics. In fact, he's sovereign over earthly politics. He, he tells Pilate, he's like, hey, you wouldn't have the authority you have unless my father gave it to you. And he's, the whole goal of Christianity is not to right earthly wrongs. It's not, that's not our primary objective as Christians. That was not the primary objective of Paul, uh, was not to create, create new systems and change laws and change culture in a way that was just better. That wasn't their primary goal. Paul's primary goal was to lead people to Jesus so that they would become a part of his kingdom. He wanted to lead them to faith in Christ so that they would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That, that was Paul's goal. That's what he's trying to do. And then he's trying to disciple people to be like Jesus. But what happens when you reach people with the gospel and then you disciple them to be like Jesus? Culture changes. Culture's impact. When the gospel impacts and, and, and infiltrates people's lives, even, even people who are in leadership roles, even people who make the laws, things change. And that's what we saw in history with the abolishment of the African slave trade. Especially in Great Britain, it's very clear that it was Christians who, based on this principle, saw the human value of other human beings and said, this is this is evil, and we need to stop this. And so guys like William Wilberforce spent their whole lives fighting that battle in order to abolish the 
is evil and to fight against it. And so, that's one, one possible reason why Paul just goes where he goes with this. Also, it's very clear from New Testament writings that as far as possible to them, early Christians just tried to live in peace with the outside world, not to instigate slave revolts. I mean, you've got a small group, small group of Christians in these places. They were not a, a, ma- a majority that could change cultural views or anything like that at this point. And so, what would it have done to the cause of Christ and the advancement of the kingdom if all of a sudden Paul's telling everybody, hey, slave, slaves, you just need to run away. You need to break free from your, your contracts with your masters and you need to just get out of there. That probably would have fallen over very well with the culture and that probably would have been a really bad thing for Christianity in general. Also, in a culture where people would volunteer for slavery to have their needs met in order to have a better life, in order to be able to work their way out of where they were in life, to suddenly just be set free with no job, no income, nothing like that, probably wouldn't have been the best thing for those people either. What they already saw in their life was this is the best occupation opportunity that I have. And so instead of Paul saying, hey, get rid of your one opportunity you have to better yourself. Instead, he gives instructions that, hey, inside of this opportunity, here's how it should work. Here's how it should look. Here's how you should work together. But what can we as Christians today say about slavery? We can say that all men and women are made in the image of God, and that Jesus is Lord of all, and he does not show partiality. And so, therefore, based on that truth, we are against slavery and all of its forms and nastiness and ways that it existed in our world. And we talk about it in past tense because a lot of times that's what we're taught in school is that, hey, we took care of this, we solved this issue. Um, but I want to propose to you today and to present you with some facts that we have not abolished slavery in our world today. In fact, it's estimated that there are more slaves in our world today than at any other point in time in history. Um, The estimates are uh, that globally right now, and it's so hard to track and so hard to nail down, but the estimates are that today in our world, there are 40 million souls who are enslaved. 40 million people who live their life in slavery right now in our world today. And yes, many of those are in countries like India and North Korea, where they have a very high percentage of their population who live in this way. But the latest statistics I could find were from a couple years ago. But in Canada, a couple years ago, it was estimated that there were 6,500 slaves in Canada. And we say, what? And if we want to feel better about ourselves... Um, as far as percentage of the population, that is one of the lowest numbers in the world. But who would this be? This would be people that slave trafficking, I mean, uh, sex trafficking, people that are, are caught in that. They don't have a way out as a form of slavery. Um, I don't know all of the details in Canada today about who those 
good souls are and good those people are. It's a reality. It's a reality in our world, even if it's against laws, it's still happening. In fact, the slave trafficking industry is estimated to be a $150 billion annual industry right now. $150 billion in the selling of humans going on in our world today. When slavery was such an issue in the United States history down in the South, Today's economy, uh, the equivalent of what a slave then would have been sold for and what, what, what that equivalates to today, would have been around $40,000 in today's money of what a slave would have cost someone to purchase. Today, in our world, another human being can be bought for as cheaply as Think about the issue of slavery and think about it as this is something that we have solved as the human race. We are lying to ourselves. It is still very real in our world today and really a problem um, just as it was throughout history. And so, as Christians, what do we do with that? I think we need to stand on this truth of what Paul's laid the foundation here that there's no partiality. There's, there's not a distinguisher of persons when it comes to our, our place before God and the way that our Lord Jesus Christ looks at us. So, if we are in positions and places where we can fight for the equality of another human being, we need to fight for it. I don't think Ken had any idea what I was talking about when he prayed for him. I thought it was so fitting of how you can pray in a way um, that we as a, a church would be including all types of people. can we apply what Paul's talking about here? Because I, I don't think any of us specifically are slaves. I don't think any of us specifically own slaves. So how, how can we still take the truth that he's talking about and apply it to our lives? What if we look at it um, in the way that our culture has structured things as opposed to the way that that culture has structured things? We look at it in an employee-employer relationship. Now, this is not a perfect one-to-one comparison. Don't don't hear me saying that. But I think it is a way that we can look at what's saying here, and I think we can apply things to our lives from this that will impact us and better help us to serve the Lord. So, first, what if we replace servants or slaves, bond servants? What if we replace that with employees? Verse 5, employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. So the earthly masters be your boss. So employees, obey your bosses with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. First point, employees, obey your bosses with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And I went, wait a second. I don't know if I want to obey that joker. It's one thing for me to obey Christ because, like, I know Jesus loves me. I know he cares for me. I know he has my best interests at heart. I know that he's looking out for me. I mean, the guy freaking came and died on the cross for me. And so, yeah, I can trust him. So, obey him, that's one thing. This joker, 
this joker's only looking out for themselves. Like, I do not trust that guy or that girl, and so I don't know about kind of this whole obeying them kind of thing. But if your boss is that kind of individual, what do they need most in their life? see Jesus than to see him through the way that you work? What better testimony can you have with your boss and with your co-workers than for you to have the best work ethic in your workplace? I think Christians should be the best workers anybody can employ. Why? Because we're instructed in this passage and in others that when we're working, The one that we're ultimately working for is not that boss. It's not that company. It's It's not who pays our paycheck. The one that we're ultimately working for is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that our work should reflect that. We should work in such a way that, hey, I'm doing this job as if I'm doing it for Jesus. And so, what does that mean? Verse 6 means not by the way of eye service. So we're not people that, hey, just when the boss is around, we work really hard and try to make things look good so that we get in good graces with the boss. Not that we're around wizard. Not as people pleasers. We don't just, well, whatever's popular and whatever will make other people at work feel good and that kind of thing. Well, that's what we do. No. But as bond servants of Christ, service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So the Lord is the one who ultimately offers rewards. So we don't do things just for the sake of, oh, am I going to get the bonus? Am I going to get the, the, you know, the, the extra time? Am I going to get paid overtime for this or whatever? No, we, we, we do things even in our work from the standpoint of, hey, God is seeing this. My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sees what's going on here. He sees the way that I'm conducting myself, and he is the one that will be the ultimate judge of that. And so you might get passed up for promotion after promotion after promotion, not based on your work ethic, but based on your social politics. But know that your Lord and Savior sees your work ethic and sees your overall ethics by which you live your life with. And He is the ultimate one who will offer rewards in the end. 
so we know this is true and, and that he was able to offer these kind of rewards by what he did for us see Jesus came lived a sinless life yet died on the cross paying the price for us he, he took the what we deserve. You know, we, we talk about in our work, like, well, I deserve better, right? Or, you know, I've never met anybody that thought they deserved to make less money, right? Have you guys, anybody? It's like, you know what? I really deserve to have a pay cut, you know? I have been totally slacking at work lately. I am not worth what they pay me, um, so I should, no. But in reality, before Christ, before God, what we deserve is punishment before God because we mess up because we don't we don't hold things up to his standard and yet Jesus came in and he took that that wage that we we were owed the wage of death because of our sin and he paid it for us he came in and he paid our debt for us and based on that we can be forgiven based on that we can be made right with God based on that we can have eternity with God and reward with Him. And it's all based on what He did on the cross and the fact that He rose from the dead, defeating sin and death for us. And so, this brings us to another point that we can make out of what Paul is saying here. Nowhere in here does he say slavery is a good thing. But what he does say is he tells us inside this construct of slavery, Here's how you can act. Here's how you can live. And so how can we apply that to us? If you see anyone that tells you that becoming a Christian is all about escaping pain and suffering in this life, then they're lying to you. That's not biblical Christianity. Our goal is not just to get out of bad situations. Because you see, the whole, the whole thing, the whole construct of Christianity is all built on the pain and suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the call to come and live our lives like Him. And so if you think that, hey, well, I'm a Christian, so therefore I'm supposed to get out of everything difficult in this life, then you're going to get very frustrated with Christianity and you're going to be very disappointed. Instead, what biblical Christianity says is, hey, you find yourself in a tough situation. You're a bondservant who doesn't have a Christian master and they treat you horribly. What can you do in that situation? You can live like Christ. You can treat that person like you treat Jesus. Man, is that hard. As an employee, when you have a boss who is unfair and doesn't do things right and is corrupt and all this kind of stuff. What can you do in that situation? You can treat that person in the way, in the way that you would treat Christ. You can set an example with your attitude and your conduct of pointing others to Jesus for what Jesus has done in your life, and you get to model that for others. See, Christianity does not free us from worldly systems corrupted by sin. Instead, 
gives us the opportunity to point to Jesus in those steps. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that all of the pain and suffering in this world is going to go away. In fact, in some parts of our world, and uh, like Derek is so good at praying for us and reminding us of uh, persecuted Christians in our world today, that simply because they are Christian, simply because of faith in Christ, they are, are in horrible situations. So, yes, we pray for those people to be set free from those situations. But then we should also pray for them that under those situations that we will shine for Christ. They'll be able to live in a way that points to Jesus and brings glory to Him. As you see, Paul's instructions here are actually stronger for the Christian as far as our interpersonal relationships and even the golden rule. Golden rule is, as Jesus said, you know, do unto others as you have them done to you. Or as Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. But what Paul says here is the way that I'm supposed to treat others is the way that I would treat Jesus. And that can apply to any of our relationships. If a, if a, a slave is to treat their master that way, even if doesn't say if the master is a Christian, do this. No, he just says treat your master this way. I think that can apply to like all of our relationships pretty much. That no matter what's going on, Christian, how much would it change things, how much would it better things if we treat other people the way that you would treat Jesus in that situation. That's hard. It's not easy. Why? It's easy to treat Jesus that way. Because we have this close relationship with him. We know him. We know he's got our best interest heart. He's looking out for us. He's protecting us. It's easy on that street. With somebody that they seem to be out to get you. What does that look like in that relationship? How do we apply that in that relationship? Bosses. Let's apply this to bosses and bosses. For employers, you have employees under you. How do you treat them? Do you treat them in a, such a way that, well, it's all about just getting to the bottom line so the shareholders have the max income or whatever applied to your situation? Or do you treat them in a way that you would treat Jesus if they were in that position? If you're a Christian boss, how, how would you treat your Lord and Savior if you were working in your company, if you were one of your employees, would you be offering more raises? Would you be offering more perks for your employees? Uh, would you be offering more time off? Would you be, how would you conduct yourselves? How would you treat them differently in being employed by you if that tells us here is that as a Christian, there is no preference given between persons. So whether that is the boss or whether that's the employee, we know that ultimately in the end we will all bow our knee before Jesus Christ as the Lord. 
and so in a way that you conduct yourself as a boss, do your employees see that and say, I want to find out more about this Jesus than this person knows? Or do they say, I know that they go to church, and I know that they claim to be a Christian, but yet I don't want to have anything to do with it because of how I see them treat me, because of how it is the work of this person. And so, I think that is some application that we can all be challenged by, by this passage. Are we saying that slavery is okay? No. But the New Testament nowhere says that slavery is okay. But it does lay the framework and the foundation on which slavery has been fought throughout our world, which is a fight that still needs to go on today. For the sake of human beings who are made in the image of God, who are evil in each of us, under our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a fight that needs to be made for That's a fight that's not so easy for each of us to fight. Because we're not right there with them, but we don't necessarily see it. There's things we can do, there's ways we can be a part of being a solution there. But a more practical application is in our relationships, in our employer-employee relationships, in our work ethic, are we modeling this? Are we simply a pleaser of men? Or do we work as if we are working for the Lord? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth, even on passages that are hard for us, um, things that where we want it to say, things that it doesn't necessarily say. Uh, Lord, I thank you that ultimately your word is true. And that even in passages like this where we want it to be more clear and to say even more, we can see through history that your Holy Spirit used these words and used this truth in the lives of of your people in order to fight injustices in our world. And we thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, we pray that as your followers today in our world, here and now, that we will do the same. That we will be people who will stand up for your truth, who will proclaim your truth without hesitation. That we will show your love and your mercy. And love that will lead you to send your one and only Son to die on the cross for us to be the ultimate suffering servant in the way that he died for us, to take on our sin and our punishment so that we can be set free. And Lord, I pray that in, in our work ethic and the way that we engage those around us, whether through work or through personal relationships or whatever, Lord, help us to treat people in the way that we treat you in that situation. God, we know that it's only possible for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. So God, I pray that you can do that. In Jesus' name.